Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. So I want to dive back into our series called The Book of Acts, and we're talking about the history of the church, the beginning of the church, how this church began to unfold, this ragtag group of people that became a movement, and this movement that ultimately changed the face of the world. And again, and I said this often, but we're here in America thousands of miles away from the epicenter of where all of this happened in Jerusalem, over 2,000 years later, worshiping a God that revealed himself back there, back then, and in that manner. God was in it and is still in it. And so we're looking at how this church began, how it unfolded, and, and hopefully there's little things that we're hitting here and there that you're grabbing a hold to and saying, God, that's for me, because this is not like a topical message, meaning I don't have one driving point that I'm trying to give you scriptures to support. I'm giving you what the text says. I'm giving you what the Bible says and letting it do what it does best, which is speak to our hearts. And so we're going to dive right back into the book of Acts. We, we left off. The last time I preached in 1984 here at the Broussard campus, <laughs> um, we left off in the book of, of Acts chapter 2, and we were talking about the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2 was the launching of the church. It was the very beginning. It was when the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were given the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says, clothing tongues of flames, a fire came down, and they began to speak in another tongue, and there were people from all over the world who were hearing their words, praising God in their own language and in their own dialect. And then the following, the same chapter, but the following week, we came back and we talked about the beginning of this and how they responded to this. Over, Peter got up and preached, and over 3,000 people were born again in that moment. That's a good Sunday. It's a very good Sunday. Over 3,000 people were born again, and not only were they born again, they were baptized. Can you imagine having to cheer and clap 3,000 times? You would be exhausted. And so over 3,000 people were born again in that moment and baptized. And the Bible tells us that we just read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to sharing in meals together, eating together, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. But I want you to see something as we turn the page and we go now to Acts chapter 3. I want you to get this main thrust, if you will, that you're going to see all throughout this entire book. But Jesus began his ministry in the book of Luke, and he continued it in the book of Acts. He continued it through the church in the book of Acts. Why am I saying that? Because in the very first week I taught you, I told you that Luke was the same author of Acts. And so Luke, this physician, this doctor, wrote, obviously the gospel called Luke, but in the same way, this was almost like volume two, the book of Acts. And so he's writing this, and in Luke, Jesus is ministering, but in Acts, Jesus is also ministering, but this time he's doing it through his followers. 
So that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Let me stop right there. Here's Peter and John, two totally different personalities. Peter is a man of action. He's a man who likes to get stuff done. He's a man who often says the wrong thing. How many of you can relate to Peter? Speak first, think later. That was Peter's motto. And then you have John, who's a very contemplative person. He's a dreamer. He's the one who wrote the, the book of Revelation, the apocalypse. John did that. And John was the one who laid on Jesus' bosom. He laid on, he was a very intimate, very relational, but very contemplative type person. You have these two different personalities getting ready to do something spectacular. Because how many know God can use any type of personality? God can use anyone that submits their heart to him. So you have these two men walking into the temple, and the Bible says they were going there for the three o'clock hour of prayer. Why is that significant? Because right before in the temple, every day the Jewish people, there were three sacrifices that happened in the temple. Excuse me, two sacrifices for three moments of prayer. And there was at the last one in the evening, which for the Jewish people, the evening was three o'clock. Right before this prayer time was a sacrifice. So they would do this sacrifice in the temple for the cleansing of sins for the Jewish people. I want you to notice something. Peter and John did not go for the sacrifice, but they went for prayer. Why is that significant? Because they knew the real sacrifice had just taken place. When Jesus died on the cross, he took care of that. There was no more need to sacrifice animals, and they understood that. But they went into this temple to pray. Verse 2, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Now I want to shift our focus for a, a moment to this man. There's a man who was lame from birth, and he was brought to the temple every single day at this gate called beautiful, where he would beg for money. And every day, this man would sit there and people would walk by him and ignore him or people would throw money at him and they would keep moving. And this man probably had lowered his expectations in life to this place. This is what life has for me. Every single day, can you imagine, that's my life. I lay outside of the church and I beg for help. That was his life. That's all he knew. Someone was kind enough to bring him every day, but that's what he did. And this was his expectation. On a good day, he got money. On a bad day, he was probably ridiculed, given ugly looks, made fun of by church people. This was his life. This was what he thought was his lot in life. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Now, I want, you to get, I want you to see this for a minute. Again, this man, this is his life. He's laying down, begging for money. 
He's never walked a day in his life. And every day, at best, people throw him coins. And this day, this moment, he's laying down, he's crippled, he's, he's, he's lame, he's, he's never been able to walk, he's probably hopeless and full of despair because the way he can make his living is not like nowadays where you can get a job and you go, he can't make his living any other way, so he lays there and he just asks people to give to him. And then one day, Peter and John come to him and they stop and Peter looks at him. Just imagine this with me for a moment. You're used to people ignoring you. You're used to people treating you like you are a problem. And then finally someone looks at you and sees you. They recognize that you are someone. You are a person, you have a value at least and deserve the respect to have someone look at you eye to eye. Peter looks at him and he says, look at us. Now, I wanna dive in this and give you a few points from this, this whole chapter and what I'm seeing God saying and doing in this chapter. But the first thing, first point I wanna make is I wanna talk about the man's expectation. The man's expectation. Verse 5 says, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. See, he's happy that they're talking to him because most people just walk by. And some, again, like I said before, throw him a dollar, throw him a couple bucks. But this, these two men stop and look at him and command an audience with him and begin to engage him where most people have just walked by him. So he looks at them with excitement. Because if they're talking to me, who knows how much they're about to give me? This is going to be good. The Bible could have left that detail out, but it didn't, and I believe that's significant. He looked at them expecting some money, eagerly expecting some money. Here's the thing. He got his hopes up until we get to the next verse. Verse six, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. My response would have been, then why are you talking to me? <laughs> Peter, why, are you, why did you do this whole show of engaging me and talking to me? See, this is the thing about our expectations. How many of you have ever had your, your hopes up only to have them dashed? Can you be honest in church today? How many of you have ever had your hopes up, God's getting ready to do this and it doesn't happen? I thought it was gonna go this way. I thought it was supposed to pan out that way. This man in a split second went from, I'm nobody, nobody talks to me, nobody even sees me, to finally someone sees me, they're engaging me, my hopes are up, this is, I'm, I'm getting ready to receive something. Only to have Peter look at him and say, I don't have any money. Sometimes our faith is a roller coaster ride. If we're being honest, sometimes we believe God is gonna do anything and everything in our lives and there's other moments we sit back and we lay, we lay around wondering, how did I miss that? God, I thought you were going to. Lord, did I miss you? God, am I not understanding this right? God, am I not? What happened, God? 
Sometimes it's, it's not a matter of whether or not God wants to do something or not do something in your life. It's a matter of our expectations being in the wrong place. See, God never promises to do everything our way. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And even when we don't understand, we should trust him because his will for us is good. See, the thing that he tells us is this, I will work all things out for the good of those who, are, who love me and are called according to my purpose. And I've heard, I heard this said and I've said it to you before. The times that God never lets us down except in the moments when we presume to know what he's going to do. See, when we act like we know what God is going to do, that's when we get let down. But when we trust him and trust that he's going to do what's best for us, even when we don't understand it because we love him and we're devoted to him, that's when we see him do miraculous things in our lives. See, this man's expectation was a few coins. And he had no idea what God was getting ready to do in his life. His expectation was a few dollars, but God has something so much bigger in store for his life. God works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what the Bible says. And at the same time, let me speak to us Christians for a moment and just dispel a lie. See, pastor, we're not supposed to give people money. The Bible says it right there. That's not what that means. We are supposed to help the people. Well, I help people spiritually. This man was not only helped spiritually, he was helped physically. They physically helped him. Let's go back to this text for a minute. Verse six again, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Get up and walk. God has something so much bigger in store for this man. Verse seven, then Peter, he, I love this, he takes it a step further in a way that only God can. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. His expectation was, I'm going to wake up this morning and receive a few dollars. Or maybe I'll make it through the day and not be made fun of and mocked in church. Not knowing that God's plan for him that day was to completely transform his life. Church, let me tell you this. For some of you in this place, God's plan for you even today is to transform your life. You came into this building expecting to go through a service and get out of here. You expected to go and go to Burger King right after service and go about your Sunday. But God has something so much more in store for you if you'll grab a hold of it. See, this man, the Bible says this, he went, 
went into the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, I also want you to see something significant here. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, this is a, this is a prophecy fulfilled. See, I've been in the book of Isaiah in my own Devo time, and I've been reading through the book of Isaiah, and so much of what it says points to Jesus' coming and the early church. And what you see, what we're seeing right now happen is a fulfillment of a prophecy spoken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this moment happened in the temple. This is what it says in Isaiah 35, verse 6. The lame man, somebody's excited. The lame man will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. God was fulfilling a promise that he made hundreds of years before in this very moment, right before the eyes of the Jewish people in the temple. And one thing I love about this man's response that I hope all of us really grab a hold to, he responded with gratitude. He responded with gratitude. The Bible says he went with the disciples into the temple praising God, leaping, jumping in utter unbelief of what just took place, what just happened in his life. If you see somebody running and jumping as they come into church, how many, you know, you would think something just happened in their life. Something big just happened. Or what are they on? One of the two. This man came in praising God. His response to what God did in his life was gratitude. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar, see, they all knew him. Every day he sat at that gate in the temple. Every day they passed by. They knew who he was. They knew what he was after. They seen him since they were little boys at that gate, lame, unable to walk, unable to provide for himself, unable to do any of those things. They saw this. And now they're watching him praising God, jumping around in the temple. When they realized he was the lame beggar, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man, listen to this, don't miss this, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when God does something amazing in your life? How do you respond when God answers prayer? Do you stop and thank him and recognize what he did for you? Do you cling to him or do you just go on about your everyday life? Do you just kind of go, yep, I kind of thought it would happen that way, and move on? When there's a problem with one of your children and you're begging God, do something, do something, and he finally does something, do you take the time to come back and thank God for what he did? When there's a problem in your home, do you come back and thank him? In your job, do you come back and thank him? See, I was reminded of something just this week. I remember... When, when we weren't able to have church during the quarantine and we were at home praying and believing God to bring us back into this moment, we were asking God to do the impossible, we thought, 
I went back and I read, see, we, we were a part of something called Unite 714, which was started by Pastor Jim LaFoon, my spiritual daddy. And churches from all over the world, 180 nations joined together to pray at 714. We would pray at 714 in, in, in the evening, and many of us would pray at 714 in the morning time. And we would have these weekly prayers that would go out and people, again, from all over the world were praying and begging God to end this pandemic. And there was faith attached to it. There was expectation attached to it. There were questions in our minds attached to this. We were wondering, will this ever happen? Will life ever come back to normal? Yet here we are. And here's my question. Have you gone back and thanked God that we're here now? Or have you treated that like it was common? Did you treat that like that was the decision of politicians that allowed us to come back here? Did you treat that like that was science that just upgraded and allowed us to come back here? Or are you actually looking through all of that? Did God use all of that? Of course he did. But are you going back to the source to say, God, at this point, one year ago, I was sitting in my house wondering what is wrong with the world and will it ever change? Do we go back and thank him? Do we show him gratitude for what he's done? See, this is something that I, I, I teach our staff of the culture of our team. I try to help build this within the culture of our team. Gratitude is not gratitude unless it's expressed. You're not really grateful unless you're able to show that gratitude. Otherwise, it's just the feeling. Gratitude at its essence is showing someone that you appreciate what they've done. And if you really appreciate it, then show them. There are people during this pandemic who beg God, God, if you get me out of this, I'll do anything. God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. Where are they? Are they serving him? Have they prioritized them? Or have they just went, okay, yeah, we're good. God deserves our gratitude. This man clung to Peter and John. Not only did he cling to them, but again, he went into the temple praising God. And I want you to see this, this transition from a very low expectation to extreme gratitude. Expecting dollars, praising God for divine healing. That's what we see in this story. Now, for many of us, this is our journey if we'll only trust them. If we'll, set, if we'll put our expectations in his hands, it'll end up in extreme gratitude. See, that's one of the problems with marriages, if I'm being honest. What we do sometimes is we expect something out of our spouse and when that, our spouse does not meet our expectation, there's a problem. It got real quiet in this church when I said that. Well, this is my expectation. Yeah, well, I didn't know it. Well, you don't talk to me. Well, you don't talk to me. Expectations are at the root of this. This man's expectation took him on a roller coaster ride of disappointment to extreme gratitude. Let me ask you this question as well before I go on to the next point. I know I'm asking a bunch of questions, and this is kind of like a dialogue we're having this morning, but is your default disposition faith or fear? What comes more natural to you? Or what do you choose? 
When something significant happens in your life, do you naturally gravitate towards being fearful or do you naturally gravitate, gravitate excuse me, towards faith? Because one leads to a crippling lifestyle. One leads to a lifestyle of trust. See, we could have the same problem and a similar outcome and me have peace and you not because I've chosen faith and you've chose fear. It's true. When you're thinking about your parenting, your kids, and this is something that just being transparent with you as a dad, I've had to wrestle with many times. God, am I gonna parent my kids out of fear or am I gonna parent them out of faith? Because when you parent them out of fear, you control. I'm gonna say that again. When you parent your kids out of fear, you control because that's the only thing you feel like you can do to stop the outcome of what you're afraid of. But when you parent your children out of faith, you trust God with the outcome. When you manipulate your spouse out of fear, you end up losing them. Isn't that ironic? The things we try to control are the very things we lose. Rather than trusting God with the outcome, your job, whatever the circumstance is. Church, let's choose faith this morning. The second thing, speaking of faith, that I want to draw out of this story is I want to talk a little bit about the gift of faith. The gift of faith. What is it that healed this man? What healed him? Was it just the right circumstances? Was it, was it Peter got the, the wording just right and allowed for this? Peter tells us, I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, but in verse 16, Peter tells us what healed the man. Verse 16 says this, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Faith in the name of Jesus. It wasn't the temple that healed him. It's not the church building that does miraculous things. It's the faith in the name of Jesus with God's people who are submitted to him that does miraculous things. See, this man showed up every day again at the same place and nothing changed until this happened. We can believe God, and I've been saying this lately because hopefully it's stirring faith in you. We can believe God for miraculous things today. God doing miracles didn't end in the Bible times. He still does miracles today. He can still do a miracle in your life today. The Bible says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all we could ask, think, or imagine. Listen to this, according to the power that works where? In you. And what's in you? His kingdom's in you. He's in you. Faith in Jesus' name is in you. See, I read a question online and I was studying, preparing for this message. I read a question online and it was a man and he posed the question this way. He said, did Jesus pass by this gate? And if Jesus passed by this gate, why didn't Jesus heal this man? Think about that for a moment. The Bible clearly tells us in the Gospels that Jesus went to the temple. 
Jesus went into the temple. Jesus saw this man. So the question is, if Jesus saw this man, why didn't Jesus heal him? And here's the answer. Jesus did heal him, but he did it through his followers. He did it through his followers. He is still doing miracles through his people today. Jesus healed him. Jesus is still healing people. And these disciples, they did it. Peter just said it. I did this in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It means he did it in Jesus' authority. See, when we say the name of Jesus, I think sometimes we treat, when we pray, we use the name of Jesus like it's like the secret sauce. Like I'm going to build a hamburger, but then I'm going to put the sauce on it. Right? That's what we treat the name of Jesus like. Or we go, well, okay, well, I've heard my friends pray like this, so I'm going to say in the name of Jesus, it just sounds more spiritual. Let me tell you what that means. When you pray in the name of Jesus, it means you're praying in the authority of Jesus. See, my assistant Renee is here, and Renee has access to all of my emails. So if you send me an ugly email, she can erase it before I ever see it. Thank you, Renee. But Renee has the ability to go into my email account, if her and I have had a conversation, and send an email from my email account. Why is she able to do that? Because I've given her my authority to use my name to do it. That's what doing something in the name of Jesus means. We're using his authority. We're using his name. And we're doing ultimately what he wants to accomplish in the earth. We're doing that. Therefore, we can do it in his name. Does that make sense? That's what praying in Jesus' name. That's what doing miracles in Jesus' name. That's what winning the loss in Jesus' name means. It's not just using it as a phrase. It's using it in his authority not a magic trick. We don't go to God and pray, Lord, I just pray that I can be as good looking as Reggie Booty in the back, back there. Wave your hand, Reggie. Lord, I pray make me as good looking as Reggie in Jesus' name. Jesus is like, I, I didn't create you to be Reggie. So you can say my name all you want to. I'm not answering that prayer because that's not my will. It's not my plan. But I also want you to see this. They operated in the gift of faith. Everybody say the gift of faith. And then this morning is kind of teaching. I'm trying to teach something, get you to see this in the book of Acts. What is the gift of faith? The gift of faith is different than just having faith. The gift of faith is a supernatural gift that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as it lists, as it lists excuse me, some of the gifts of the Spirit. And we'll talk about this more as this series continues and further beyond. But when you're born again and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God empowers you with supernatural gifts like the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing. He gives us all different gifts. One of those gifts is the gift of faith. What is the gift of faith? The gift of faith is the ability to, in a moment, supernaturally believe God for what was seemingly impossible because you know that's his will. And there are people that you've been around who it doesn't matter what the doctor says, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Nope, God said this, that's going to happen. And they look like fools in the world's eyes until that thing happens. 
When you're standing in faith for your child to be healed, and everybody's telling you it won't happen, and then it happens, and they live, and you look like you've heard from God because you have. What is that? It's the gift of faith. It's the gift of faith. And I've seen people do that. And that's not just, I'm, I trust God and I believe the Bible says. Let me just tell you something. God does not promise that all of us are going to be healed all the time. We would never die if that's the case. He does not promise that. But there are moments when he hears our prayers and it is his plan and he will supernaturally heal and do something in that moment. Why doesn't he all the time? I'm not God. Ask him. I don't know. But what I do know is he does. And he heals, he heals people today. He hears our prayers today. He does supernatural things today. And he'll use people with the gift of faith to do those things. Why? Because it brings glory and honor to him. If you don't believe me, let me tell you about this gift. This is what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. This is what it says. <clears throat> to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another by faith, excuse me, to another faith by the same Spirit. It's a supernatural ability in a moment that it makes absolutely no sense to believe God for something supernatural. I've watched people in our church operate in that. And they're not here, but I, I told them I would do this. I remember when James and Candy Bertrand, I talk about them often, they're elders here in our church, we're in good relationship together. I remember when their daughter had cancer and they spent 60 to 90 days in a treatment facility in New Orleans away from everything they knew, getting bad report after bad report after bad report after bad report about their daughter. And I watched that man say, I don't care what they say, Jesus is going to heal my daughter. And guess what? She's here today. She's here today. Gift of faith. Gift of faith. Supernatural gift that God gives people to do the impossible. Now, not only did Peter say to the man, get up, but Peter goes above and beyond and he grabs the man by the hand and picks him up. I don't know about you, but my heart would be pounding out of my chest in that moment. I Please, God, please, God, please, God. If he falls down, it was John. But he had unwavering confidence in that moment because that gift of faith was in operation. Grabbed the man by the hand, stood him up, and the man stood there. And I love the nuances of the Bible. Keep in mind that the man who wrote this book, the book of Acts, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. So some of the language he was using was medical terminology. That's just the brilliance of God. God took a doctor to write about this supernatural thing that happened and gave medical terminology for it. Now I want to jump back because I want you to see something significant and something, unfortunately, that's pretty rare in our day. I want you to see Peter's response. Peter's response, verse 12, says this. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. I love Peter. Because Peter, this is the second time in this book already that this has happened. God does something supernatural and miraculous. 
And a crowd is now drawn because people are wondering, what the heck is going on here? And Peter seizes the opportunity to preach the gospel and to give God the credit. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. See, I love Peter's response. Peter asked them two questions as this crowd gathers. The first question he asked him is, why does this surprise you? Why does it surprise you that God can do the miraculous through people? Why is this so surprising to you? Don't you believe the Bible? Don't you believe what God's word says? Why is it so hard for us sometimes to believe that God can do anything? I want you to ask yourself that question. Where in my life am I limiting God? Where am I saying God can't do this or God won't do this for me? He's asking them this question. You know, there are people who spend their lives, even brilliant Bible scholars who spend their life arguing over the silliest, stupidest things. I don't believe certain people that certain people would say, I don't believe that Jonah was able to be in the well for three days. That's impossible. We believe a man died, was in a grave for three days and came back. Why is it impossible for Jonah to be in a big fish for three days? Why is it impossible for us to believe that God can open up that door that you, ref- that you stopped praying for? The thing you used to believe him to do for your life, but because it's taken longer than you thought, you stop asking for it. You stop believing him for it. You stop thinking that it was even possible. Church, let me tell you, I prayed for my mom and for my sister for many years. As a matter of fact, the first people that I ever prayed to be born again was my mom and my sister. And I became a Christian, got born again, got into ministry, and for many years was even leading people to Jesus before I saw anything budge in their life. The very first people that I prayed to be born again. Until God moved in their life, and now both of them are born again, praying, seeking God every day. And it took them longer than anybody else I've prayed for, but God answered that prayer and did the impossible. Peter said, why are you marveling at this? Why are you acting like this is something that is out of the realm of God's possibility to do? But then the second question he asks is this. Why are you looking at us like we did this? And this is the rare response that I want to point out to you. 
One of the scariest places to be is when God is using you to do something and people start thinking it's you. Because that's the test. Listen to me, let me just tell you something. A lot of, the, we, a lot of times we think that hard times are the test. Sometimes good times are a better test. When everything's going right in your life, that's a better test. When everybody's thinking well of you, that's a bigger test. Because it's in that moment that you choose, am I going to give God the credit or am I going to take it? Am I going to say, this was only God that led me to this place and it was God who's doing this? Or we say, God, you know what? I am good. I did pray a whole lot. God, I did believe you a whole lot. God, I have been faithful. Listen to me. Your faithfulness compares to him is nothing. He's undefeated. We're not. They're in a dangerous place. Peter is in a dangerous place. But I love his response. And let me just tell you something. As your pastor, I'm very cognizant. God has called me to represent him. And I wear that responsibility. I do. I carry that weight with me when I'm in public. I can't go to Walmart and beat my kids like y'all. I can't have an off day and, and snap at the lady in the drive-thru. I can't do that because as soon as I do, she's going to pass the game. Right. And I recognize that I have to wear that responsibility and wear it. Well, the Bible says to walk worthy of your calling. But let me be very clear about something. I may represent him, but I'm not him. I'm not him. And there is a balance. There's a balance of honor that the Bible talks about, right? And the reason why we call our pastors pastors around here, because in those moments when you need them, you don't need them to be your friend. You need them to be your pastor. That's why we call each other Pastor Gabe or being a pastor tomorrow and whatever it is. We believe in that. But let me be very abundantly clear. I'm just his instrument. He gets the glory. If someone comes in this church and they get a prophetic word, it wasn't me, it was him. I'm the instrument. If someone is physically healed, it wasn't me. I ain't that good. It was him. If you want to, if God is using you in your life and you feel like you're the man or you're the woman, especially if you're the man, because let's be honest, men deal with pride much more. All you have to do is ask your wife what she really thinks. That'll bring you down real quick. We're the instruments, church, and God is going to use some of you in a very supernatural way. Always give him the credit. Always give him the honor. Don't let people give you what belongs to only him. Don't let that happen. I heard a story of a, it was kind of an illustration actually, but a man had just led a doctor to Jesus and the the, the doctor's wife came to him and was like, thank you so much. You came, I knew you were going to come through. I knew you were going to do it. And the man said, I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine if your husband, who's a surgeon, did surgery on me, and the surgery was successful, and I came back to his office so full of gratitude, and I grabbed that scalpel, and I said, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for that surgery that you performed. You would look at me like I was insane. 
because it wasn't the scalpel that made the surgery successful, it was the surgeon. In our lives, it's not the people, and listen to me, you should show gratitude. Who did the, who did the man cling to? He clung to Peter and John. But nonetheless, Peter and John didn't take the glory for it. They gave it to God. They gave it to Jesus. And I'm ending. Because verses 17 to 23 is Peter preaching the gospel to these people. But then in verse 24, he says this. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant God promised to his, your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. First, he sent them to Israel. As we continue in this book, we're gonna see when he took them beyond Israel to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What am I saying? I'm ending with this. Jesus began his ministry in Luke and he continued it through the church in Acts. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I pray that you would stir in us faith. Not just faith to believe you, God, for your promises. I pray that we would have us, had many of us need that. But even those who are, you've called to have that gift, the supernatural gift of faith, stir that up in your people. To speak out when you stir it in them. To pray for the sick when you stir that in them. Lord, thank you for raising us up as a church, God, to represent you in the earth and to do what you did in the earth, Jesus. You continued your ministry through your people and we're your people. And we ask you to continue your ministry through us. So we believe you, God, for the impossible. We believe you for the things that no one thinks is possible. We believe you to see you move in Broussard, to see you move in St. Martinville, to see you move in Brobridge, God, to see you move in Cypress Island, God, and in Dakota, God, and all around these surrounding areas, God. We believe you to do that. I pray you would move. Thank you for allowing us to be your hands and your feet in the earth.